Shalom, Jesse. You're back. Shalom, my friend. How's it going? Good. How was it? How was what? Your big trip to the Middle East. I, here's how. Here's how I think it was going to go. This is this was my prediction. I thought there was a fifty percent chance that on your trip to Israel, the food would be so good that you would join the IDF, <laughs> and a fifty percent chance that you would feel so guilty about being in Israel that you would get kicked out of the country for trying to do a land acknowledgement at dinner. Was I right? <laughs> land acknowledgements in Israel would be rather fraught. <laughs> it's not like, this isn't quite like America where it's like <laughs> 300 years ago. It's like, you know, uh, 60 years They take ago. a while there. Yeah. Um, yes, I was in Israel. Uh, there was a trip put together by Israel's foreign ministry, the New York consul. And Wait, let's just pause there for a moment. Yeah. Why? Why the trip? Yeah, why did they put this together? I was also invited on this trip. I didn't go because I thought that if people found out that I took a free trip to Israel paid for by the Israeli consulate, I would never hear the end of it. You, however, are less wise than I am. Well, yeah, that would have sucked if people were mad at Katie Herzog on Twitter. That's a good basis for making decisions about things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, the reason they did it is propaganda. I mean, I mean that in yeah. a friendly way. I know they get, they, I'm buddies with the, the guy who sort of ran it and led it. Um, the head propagandist. The head propagandist of the Jewish cabal. Um, and when they, when they invited me, I said, you know, because you guys are paying for it, if I'm going to do it, I would want to come early or stay late and do programming with a group critical of Israel, which they were fine and with. And this was with a, a group, you went with a bunch of other journalists, friends. Yeah, some are friends, some have, I'm not going to like say the names of folks who haven't, although I I disclosed it, I think everyone should disclose it, but some of them have already talked about it, like on the fifth column, uh, Michael Moynihan. Although Camille did not go because they uh, wouldn't pay for him to go first class. Yeah, he <laughs> wanted like true. basically slave boys to fan him down on the flight <laughs> and feed him grapes, and they were like, And they no. said no for some reason. You know what, I think that's racist, the fact that they would not... Invite that they would not pay for Camille to go business class. Way more black Jews than you would think once you get over there, by the way. Well, I have heard that blacks are the real Jews. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no comment on that. So basically, the way I the way I squared it with myself was I, yeah, they they ref said I could, you know, they'd fly me there early or let me stay late. Um, and I said I would do something with a, you know, a group critical of Israel. I would disclose it on my website and people can decide for themselves. So we did three days with B'Tselem, which is a lefty group that's very critical of Israel and documents what it sees as uh, constant human rights abuses against Palestinians. And then we did the much better funded <laughs> six-day trip with the Israelis. <laughs> I said early on, whichever group sort of wined and dined me more, I would side with uh -huh. them. So uh, uh, shalom, Israel. L'chai. I'm Yisrael Chai, as they say. Can you tell us once and for all, is Kanye right? Did you find the banking center? Uh, all I'll say is that it was it's an incredibly fucked up place. As I wrote in my newsletter, I think more Jewish people in particular should go to the West Bank. Um, but it's sort of hard to come back from a trip like that and like say anything in particular because there's so many layers of like trauma and history surrounding everything. I've been pretty... You know, it's not something I write about a lot. I think the occupation's horrible. I think the situation in the West Bank is basically an apartheid system. I also think Israel has legitimate security concerns. So I'm sure by saying it's complicated, that will satisfy everyone and no one will comment angrily. What I heard you just say is that you took money from an apartheid government. That's what I'm picking up from this. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's an apartheid. Just to be clear, I don't think Israel is an apartheid state. I think the situation in the West Bank is basically apartheid. Okay, so semi-apartheid. Semi-apartheid. Apartheid life. But you took you take money from uh, what are your dirty sources of money? Our listeners. Our listeners. Who knows what our yes. who knows what our listeners are into? It's the same thing. Five dollars at a time. Yes. Yeah. So uh, I was very grateful I got to go over there. To be clear, uh, it's an incredibly fucked up place. I want to learn more about it. I'm trying to read up more on the history, but. Uh, 
Yeah, on the question of like, should you do junkets like that? I don't know. Some some outlets you're not allowed to, but I think if you disclose it, if from now on, whenever I write something that's like seen as too soft on Israel, people can say, well, you took money from the government, which is true. So up to people to decide what the uh, what the limits are. I do find it interesting and amusing that the propaganda wing of the Israeli government decided that the people they really needed to target were a bunch of heterodox podcasters. That It is sort of funny. It's like sort of <laughs> like preaching why? the converted. Yeah, yeah. The only the other thing I should say is that partly because Israelis are hilariously adversarial and argue about everything. One thing I will say, um, American Jews are very polarized on Israel and there's like a big not everyone, but there's a lot of either Israel is an apartheid state that's the worst place that was ever created versus Israel can do no wrong. I found anecdotally Israelis themselves are much more capable of nuance. Uh, than American Jews are, which which was interesting. And also, I joke about it being a propaganda tour, which, of course, it was a little bit. But, like, you know, we spent some time in uh, or an evening in, in Nazareth. We talked to an Arab-Israeli who was very critical of Israel. So they didn't take us to the West Bank or anything. We didn't meet with Palestinians. But it wasn't it wasn't quite like a— the, what I'd love to do is a North Korean propaganda tour. Yeah, I'm that, trying to get in yeah. on that. It wasn't—it definitely wasn't at that level. And how was the food? <sighs> It it's incredible. It's probably some of the best food in the world. The problem was for the Israeli portion of it, uh, we had to be all kosher, oh, which means you can't have dairy and meat in the same meal. I I destroyed my body, Katie. Even by my own standards, I think I had eggplant fifteen meals in a row. Well, is is that just like normal dietary preferences there? Is no, that no. There's a lot of people aren't uh, kosher. The idea, which is reasonable, is that at some of the meals we were joined by a guest, like you know, right. someone who works in Israel or a journalist. Some of them might be kosher, and they wanted to make sure there's never a situation where people couldn't eat. I wish I get, but like Tel Aviv, legit, probably. If you like Middle Eastern food, some of the best food in the world. And we we couldn't quite get the full thing, but we ate a lot of delicious stuff. Oh, also, Katie, one last important thing. I've said this before. Israelis are super hot. Really? And there's a photo of Michael Moynihan like trying not to look at uh, <laughs> 19-year-old IDF soldiers that I highly recommend people look at because it's hilarious. Maybe we'll just put it in our own show notes. They don't have a copyright on that shit. So they didn't try to recruit you into the IDF? They did not try to recruit me into the IDF. We did have some Damn. very good jokes that even the Zionists laughed about, about um, – if Hamas launched like a Jewish regiment, wouldn't that be funny? Wait, what's the joke? The joke Hamas. I get it. But it's like if there was a guy who's like, um, will the tu- will the terror tunnels be dusty? <laughs> All right. No, it's funny. <laughs> this this vest is too tight. Larry David would be the head of it. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. Uh, maybe at some point we'll revisit this, but for now, uh, I'm glad I got to go. And if you think I'm now compromised, so be it. Well, welcome back. Uh, you were sorely missed by at least a couple of our listeners, but I think we uh, we maintained without you. We did bank a lot of stuff. We I think we ran some good stuff. This is our first time recording together in a while. Yeah, since New York, actually. Yeah, we've been. It's been a, a weird couple of months with a lot of travel, and we are hoping to get back to normal now, as of today. Yes, it's going to be incredible, Katie. What is the name of this increasingly Semitic podcast? This is Black Nerd Reported, and I'm Katie Herzog. And I'm Jesse Single, and today we're going to talk about uh, Elon Musk. We're going to be, very few people have heard of him, very few people are talking about him. We're finally going to chime in on this whole Musk, Twitter, Mastodon thing. If if you're asking yourself, what is Mastodon? That's good. You shouldn't know what it is because it's dumb. We'll explain. But first, can we uh, do one little loose ends thing from our live shows? Let's do it. Okay, so during the live show we released, uh, it was the New York one, right? 
Yes, it was. There was a segment where you talked about the different styles of uh, incel core music. This is music with uh, the theme of young men angry they don't have girlfriends or sad they don't have girlfriends, blah, blah, blah. You point out there's different styles of it. And then I made this hilarious joke. Is there klezmer incel core? <laughs> like, I want a girlfriend. <laughs> I want a girlfriend. Okay, so about a week and a half ago, we got an email from a listener who just wants to go by the name Musician with Regrets. Uh, Hi, Katie and Jesse, they wrote. I've been a listener since the libs of TikTok hoax. The furry did nothing wrong. Preach. And I've been enjoying it a lot. In your recent live episode, Jesse inquired about the existence of klezmer incelcore. I happen to be an expert at mediocre klezmer-sounding mock-ups, so I figured I could help. I've created a little demo of what that would sound like. Jesse, if you want to hire me for your bar mitzvah, feel free to reach out. And they attached a file called Klezmer Incel Core featuring Jesse Forever Single. Here's what that sounds like. I want a girlfriend. 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 Yeah, they played that at your bar mitzvah. Jesse, that might be even better than the Sucking and Fucking remix. Excellent work. <laughs> so far, I've been featured in Sucking and Fucking, <laughs> Jesse Forever, wait, what are they, whatever they call this, and uh, Replication Crisis Rap. So I'm really, I'm getting out there. I'm expanding my media. This might be a good theme song for us. I really like it. Yeah, I like it too. Um, okay, so should we move on to Mastodon and Twitter and all this bullshit? Yes, let's do it. I was afraid that everything would have calmed down and the story would have moved on since it's been so long since we've been able to record together. But thankfully, people are still complaining about Twitter and Mastodon. Your, your theory was journalists would stop being narcissistic and complaining about Twitter. Yes, yes. How did that, how did that theory bear out? Not, not well, right? I'll take a loss on that one. Okay, so when Elon Musk announced that he wanted to buy Twitter... I didn't think that things were going to change all that much. Uh, if you will recall, I think my only concern that he was going was that he was going to fuck up the verification system, which he immediately did. We'll get to that in a moment. And there was so much hand wringing and literal tears, like literally employees crying when they found out that Elon was going to buy Twitter, that it all seemed very hyperbolic. And I figured that he would buy the company, loosen content moderation, and it would basically keep operating as normal. But in some sense, that's not – in some sense, that is what has happened. And in some sense, that's not what has happened, especially if you're a Twitter employee. And I think the catastrophizers were more correct about Elon than I thought at first. And I think the employees were right to be scared and to cry. And frankly, if I were a Twitter employee, I would be pretty fucking mad at the, the old leadership for forcing Elon to buy the company when he tried to back out of it. And I want to be clear here. I don't hate Elon Musk. Every time I criticize him, I get accused of hating him. I don't hate him. And I think he's made a couple of good decisions, which I'll get to in a moment. But let's start with what he's done wrong. And I want to start, of course, with the blue check. The most important thing in the world, the most important status signal, the blue check. Exactly. So for people who aren't on Twitter, there's a blue check on accounts that have been designated notable. That in itself is kind of bullshit because there are a lot of people with blue checks who got them solely because they're like work at a media outlet that has a relationship with Twitter. And so all staff members or all editorial members were verified. That's how I got the check mark. That's how you got the check mark. Yeah, they literally emailed us at New York Magazine. They're like, if you want to be verified, send us your name. We'll forward it to Twitter. You'll get verified. Yeah, same thing. I was verified when I was at Grist. I think I had less than a thousand followers at the, at the time. There's no reason that I should have been verified then. There's arguably no reason that I should be verified now. But that's how we got it. We also had to submit a semen sample. I don't know what that was for, but it was part of it. We just did a hair sample. 
Okay. Yeah. Anyway. So, and, and a lot of people are not verified. That should be. There is no reason that some BuzzFeed staffer with 100 followers should be verified when Andrew Sullivan and Thomas Chatterton Williams are not. <laughs> I just love that. There's no lower form of life than some BuzzFeed staffer <laughs> with 100 followers. <laughs> There, well, there's clearly a bias in the verification system. And for a while, you could apply to be verified. And it said, like, you had to have, you know, bylines at X number of, of outlets or whatever. Thomas Chatterton Williams and Andrew Sullivan both very clearly fit this metric and they weren't verified. I think that shows bias within the system. Did they Wait, did they ask to be? I know that Thomas did. I don't know about it. Uh-huh. I doubt Andrew did. Yeah. But he, he should be verified for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So setting that aside... The blue check has value in two ways. One is as a status symbol and two, to verify someone's identity. So that's it. Basically, there's a when you look at if you have a verified account and you look at your mentions, there's a column for verified mentions. That's the only sort of like extra privilege as far as I know. I, they're probably – it's like when they used to pull the curtain uh, for first class yeah. and you no longer have to deal with deal with the rabble, basically. Right. But now he's fucked it all up. So the verification <laughs> column is absolutely fucking worthless. OK. So Elon Musk takes over. And one of the first things that he does is start selling the check marks for $8 a month and announce that he's doing entirely away with legacy check marks, which means that the check mark will no longer demarcate the user as notable. Therefore, it loses its utility as a status symbol. This ironically makes it have basically no value even at $8 a month. It's going to be, and I think it is, cringe as hell to to pay for a blue check. And this will even be more true when legacy checks are gone because it's no longer going to be even mimicking this thing that used to have value. So it's a giant neon sign that says, I paid for clout. Would you pay for a blue check? Well, I would hope I wouldn't, but I will say anecdotally, I, I think a huge number of people are. I, in my feed, at least, I've noticed a huge um, uptick in folks who wouldn't have been verified before and now are. Maybe I just have a lot of like a certain type of folk in my mentions, but I, I've noticed a lot of them, which suggests that like there's a market for it, at least. Yeah, there's a ton of people in my mentions who are now verified. I don't think that, that's, that we can extrapolate from that that this was a huge success. I just don't think that we have the numbers. And I think that, yes, we are probably seeing – there's probably some selection bias there. OK, again – the blue check system was biased. It was fucked up. I imagine that's a pretty relatively easy fix, though. Just apply the guidelines evenly and without prejudice. But then he did this other dumb thing. And so now instead of the blue check, there's an official badge, which just recreates the system in a different format. Well, not instead of. It's like in addition, in addition to, right? Because you can have one without the other. You, you, I don't know if anybody has one without the other. Yeah, my I have a blue check. It doesn't say. Yeah, oh, I'm sorry. Verified. I don't think anybody has official without the blue check. Gotcha. Okay, so the official means we verified this person is who they say they are. Well, no, because he was only initially he was only rolling it out to Twitter advertisers. You'll see why in a moment. But okay, I saw exactly. I've seen exactly one journalist with an official demarcation. Guess who? Um, it's gonna be someone we don't like, but who? Jeet here. No comment. How did he get? Why are a lot of, okay? Are a lot of people like pretending to be Jeet here? Is he such a hot, hot brand? Yeah, I don't. I I highly doubt that there's a lot of Jeet here impersonators. I don't know how he got the official badge. Apparently, he lost it. What if you hired a Jeet here impersonator <laughs> for a bar mitzvah? <laughs> Actually, 
I, I think he lost the official badge. I don't know why, but he at one point had the official badge and he was literally the only journalist who had this thing. I don't know who he's been fucking at Twitter to get that. Okay, so, but he just, it, it, it recreates the same system. No, he still has Does it. Does he? I, I, hit, I had to hit, I blocked him, but he's official. Okay, he lost it at one point, then he got it back. How did Jeet here get? I don't, exactly. It's a stupid system. I'm so confused by this system. Anyway, continue. I'm sorry. So, it, but it, the point is, it just recreates the same system with a different, with a different status symbol, right? But then he did something even dumber, which was choose not to verify the identity of the paid users. So obviously the first thing that people did was start impersonating other people, including Elon Musk, and then a bunch of brands, including Twitter advertisers like Eli Lilly, the pharmaceutical company. Somebody got a verified account under the name Eli Lilly and then use it to tweet that insulin is now free. So immediately the company's stock price plummets and Eli Lilly says that they're no longer going to be advertising on Twitter. Okay, so if I have this right, for a while, if you see a blue check next to someone's name, it, it means like it basically means they are who they say they are, although there's there's weird limits to that for like synonymous accounts. But synonymous accounts, I mean, wouldn't have a blue check. No, there there's some that uh, I guess you're you I, I I wish I could think about the topic. And I mean, you could like you you could in theory get the blue check and then change your name. Either yeah. way, since Twitter started, it's been a symbol meaning this person is legit. So then he simultaneously changes that to either it means you're legit and got grandfathered in or it means you paid eight dollars. At the same time, he introduces a new verified thing. And and so, of course, everyone is primed to think a blue check means someone's right. legit. So the in-person, like, he, he this was a, an incredibly dumb fuck up. Yeah. And then other social media platforms also have some sort of check. Usually it's a blue check, not always. Instagram, Facebook. It, it means it, that's what it means. <laughs> like, it's a universal symbol for this identity has been verified. This is troubling for me because I thought Elon Musk was a genius who was great at everything. This is why I try to DM him so much. But it sounds like he didn't handle this well so far. I do not think he handled this well. Okay, so a bunch of advertisers announced that they are cutting ties with Twitter, in part because of these impersonations. And so this thing that he's doing to raise money for the company is now costing the company money. Does it even out in the end? I sort of doubt it. I don't know that a couple hundred thousand people or however many it is that paid for the blue check is going to make <laughs> up for like actual yeah. ads. What if a billion people get buy blue checks? That'd be $8 billion a month, Katie. Think about it. I mean, I think that what he should do is just charge everybody on the platform a dollar if he needs to monetize follow or monetize users. Just charge everybody a dollar. There are 300 million users on Twitter. Charge them all a dollar. You don't have to fuck with the verification charge system. Charge them a dollar a year. Yeah. And you'd have a good... Yeah. Well, but no. As soon as you have to whip out a credit card, you're going to get 15% of people pay, I think. Yeah. That's a, such an interesting thought experiment because that would be such a healthier internet if people had to pay for it. Anyway, I don't know. That's classist, Jesse. I'm so classist. Okay. So he fucks up the, the verification system. And then he also starts immediately laying people off. He laid off half the staff within, I believe, the first week that he had taken over. And then he also announced that Twitter would no longer be allowing remote work starting like he did this on like a Wednesday or something. And it was like 5 p.m. on Wednesday. Everybody has to be in the office on Thursday. Twitter announced that they were going permanently remote during the pandemic. So I imagine that a number of people, you know, moved when they thought they were never going to have to go into an office again and could live someplace cheaper than Silicon Valley. And they find out that the next day they have to be in the office. So he's making these announcements, things go haywire, and then he just walks them back immediately. He's like throwing everything at the wall in a very public way. Maybe this... So he, he, he walked back the remote thing, right? He did walk it back. It was... But it, now it's like... 
not everybody has to be in the office, but you have to get permission from your manager and your manager is now responsible for you. So if there's, I don't know, if you're not performing up to task, it's your manager is the person who is going to be penalized if the employee who's working remotely isn't performing. Hmm. It's just bad management. No, no. I mean, none of this makes sense. Cause it, it just, it's like, he's like, there's a type of dude who just loves to, I mean, not always a dude, yeah. but often who just loves to throw his weight around and be like, I have power now. None of this sounds like he, like what you would do if you got to the company is like meet with the folks who already know how shit works and you can still make changes, but you don't just go in and start like right. tweeting out massive changes. It's crazy. Right. And especially like tomorrow, you have to be in the office tomorrow. It's 5 p.m. tomorrow. Yeah. Be in the office, be in San Francisco or wherever tomorrow. It's just like it shows just this absolute lack of consideration for the people who work for you. And these are the people who built the company. He is not the person who built the company. These people have all been there for longer than him. And then he issues these weird demands that people resign if they're not willing to be, quote, hardcore. I assume that is some reference to a musical genre. Like, what is he, what does that even fucking mean here? Yeah, just publicly. Th this was a public demand or like an internal email? Oh, this was an internal email. Okay, you just say you have to be hardcore. Yeah, you have to be har hardcore. If you are willing to be hardcore and you want to stay on, check this box in this Google form or whatever it was. And if not, we're gonna that, we're gonna take that as your resignation by like five p.m. on Friday if you don't check the box. If we if we ever have a full blown staff, I'm just gonna use Google yeah. forms for retention. Yeah, issues. he should do a Twitter poll instead. And this apparently was not appealing to much of the remaining staff who they were already in this extremely chaotic environment. And so a bunch of them announced that they are leaving. Yeah, and I I thought the uh, this article in the New York Times really captured how. Uh, the first part of his tenure went. This is from November 18th. Elon Musk sent a flurry of emails to Twitter employees on Friday morning with a plea. Quote, anyone who actually writes software, please report to the 10th floor at 2 p.m. today. End quote. He wrote in a two-paragraph message, which was viewed by the New York Times. Thanks, Elon. About 30 minutes later, Mr. Musk sent another email saying he wanted to learn about Twitter's tech stack, a term used to describe a company's software and related systems. Then in another email, he asked some people to fly to Twitter's headquarters in San Francisco to meet in person. Uh, later in the article, it notes, Some internal estimates showed that at least 1,200 full-time employees resigned on Thursday. Three people close to the company said Twitter had 7,500 full-time employees at the end of October, which dropped to about 3,700 after mass layoffs this month. I found this amazing because it's like if I took over a cat food factory without knowing anything about how to make cat food – and then on Monday, I was like, there's going to be big changes around here. Watch out, everyone. And then by Friday, I'm like, uh, attention, if any of you know how to make cat food, please report to my office. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like there was a lot of speculation that Twitter was going to die. And there was – were you online the one night like Friday at 5 p.m. after there were all of these resignations and people were tweeting as though it was the last day on Twitter? I, I – I saw tweets for that. It was so fucking hilarious. It was literally like the deck of the Titanic. Yeah. Like there's a band play, people saying yeah. goodbye to their friends. It was so – all the cringiness and melodrama and narcissism of like blue check media Twitter was just allowed to flourish in this like supernova nova burst. It was hilarious and horrible. Yeah. I mean it was very funny and also the fact that everybody just woke up the next day and continued tweeting was very funny. That said, <laughs> I don't think that many people literally thought that it was going to evaporate overnight. I, I just don't think most people thought that. I think the concern is that if you lay off this huge percentage of your staff – that the machine isn't going to be keep running forever. Now, it'll probably keep running on auto autopilot for a while, but websites do need constant ah, maintenance. I, 
I, I'm more skeptical on that because don't you think like if if the firings had this horrible effect, we would have noticed like performance issues, the site would have gone down. It just despite all the noise and smoke and lost jobs, and I don't want these people to have lost their jobs, it doesn't seem to have affected the actual product unless I'm missing something. Okay. Well, so Ben Smith, uh, formerly of the New York Times, his new project, Semaphore, ran an interview with Alex Stamos, who's the former chief of security at Facebook. And he said that basically Twitter should be able to keep running with just a few hundred employees if they are the right employees for a while. But he also said this, quote, eventually there will be an issue that has to be addressed by SREs, that's site reliability engineers, or it will cause a cascading failure. The question will be is if the right team exists at that point to stop the cascade. I have no idea if the right team exists or not, or if Elon is filling those roles, or Elon even understands those roles. Uh, Stamos also said, quote, it will be very hard to make money with the key relationships broken. I think that's uh, that's also a major issue is if- Was if, Twitter ever making money? I don't know if it was profitable, but it, NPR published a piece today that said that Twitter has lost half of its top 100 advertisers since Elon Musk came back. And you can see why advertisers would be reticent to give <laughs> to give him money at this point. Bad press. But regardless, Elon's public response to all of this criticism has been to shitpost, which just confirms my belief that anyone who spends a lot of time on Twitter should not be running a lemonade stand, much less a fucking corporation. Dude, the shitposting has been so weird, um, even by Elon Musk's standards. And one weird thing is he's sort of mixing these questions about the company's future with shitposting. So, like, he did a Twitter poll to determine whether he should issue a general Twitter amnesty for banned accounts. And and with Donald Trump. That's why he, he invited Donald Trump back on the platform, because Twitter decided. And hilariously, Donald Trump has has sort of ignored him, which is, I got to say, a pretty Chad move. Yeah, it is. Um, but so, so, of course, the sorts of people who follow Elon Musk are going to be like, yeah, do an amnesty, 72%. So then he tweets, the people have spoken. Amnesty begins next week. Vox Populi, Vox Dei basically translates to the voice of the God. The voice of the people is the voice of God. Okay. So another hilarious thing about this. Okay. Well, first of all, I think this is sort of this shady thing that he's doing where instead of just making decisions himself and taking responsibility for them, he's saying, no, 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 this is a democracy. The people have spoken. But he also, like he himself, when he was trying to get out of buying Twitter, presumably because he realized it was a terrible fucking deal, his claim was that Twitter was overrun by bots. So why should we believe that these polls aren't uncontaminated if Twitter is overrun by bots, as he himself said that it is? Yeah, I mean, that's 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 true. But just like, even if it's all real people, Twitter polls are completely useless. So it's just... Totally, totally useless. There's also much pure shit posting he's done. So like he tweeted, our love will no- never die with a still from Brokeback Mountain, where... It's him and CBS News. Why can't I quit you? It's just bizarre. He also had an interesting... Wait, do you know what that's about? No, I actually don't. He had some beef with CBS News. CBS News, and I gotta say, this is embarrassing on their part. CBS News announced that they would no longer be tweeting. And then (laughs) took it back the next day. Wait, what? how did they explain it? (laughs) Okay, so this was a CBS News correspondent. He said this during during a broadcast... In light of the uncertainty around Twitter and out of an abundance of caution, CBS News is pausing its activity on the social media site as it continues to monitor the platform. It's so dramatic. <laughs> so melodramatic. Out, in a, out of an abundance of caution. Like, what do they think is going to happen? Marginalized people will be harmed. <laughs> yes, that's the issue. Uh, so, okay, so he's getting in fights with people. He's a CEO of this very important media company. 
social media company and he's just tweeting stuff out he's tweeting memes out um he also had an interest he also he's he like he steals memes whatever memes are meant to be stolen but i to me there's something just like sort of dirty about the fact that he will take people's content and repost it without crediting them it's not great he should be banned from twitter uh he also had a, <laughs> he had an interesting interaction with uh at Cat Turd Two, Do, are you familiar with Cat Turd Two? No, I know Cat Turd One. I was going to say, I, can, will you understand Cat Turd Two's tweets if you haven't read Cat Turd? <laughs> this is someone who has a million followers. I, I think maybe they were recently reinstated. But so Cat Turd Two says, "Breaking: Forty-eight hours since Elon Musk reinstated President Trump's Twitter account, and the world still hasn't ended." Elon Musk replies. And it turns out that Trent Nine Inch Nails Reznor is actually a crybaby. Sideways laughing emoji. So he's did we did fights. Trent Reznor leave? He must have left. I Twitter. don't even know he must or have, care. Yeah. But just the you're a CEO of a company and you're just constantly picking fights with everyone. Like we're allowed to do that because we can get content out of it. But if you're a CEO of a company. It's a bad idea. It's like James Lindsay running a giant corporation. Oh my, yeah, they're not. They they have similar dispositions. And then he was also back on Twitter. Yeah, so we had that that little sideways laughing emoji thing, which comes across as just like deranged. Like I'm not even mad. My buddy Arya Cohen Wade sent me a Twitter search for Elon Musk using the um, halfway sideways laughing emoji. He's used it 41 times. <laughs> Since November 14th, or about 3.7 per day. So I'm a, I'm a data-driven journalist. He really likes the half... What is that? How is it halfway sideways laughing, crying emoji? I guess that's the name. It's crying, laughing so hard it's turning your face sideways. Yes. So You know when that happens. He's basically thrown himself headfirst into all these culture wars. He, he just like opined that people should vote Republican to keep like checks on power and government which like whatever you're allowed to have your opinion but you can't just like you're, you're the ceo of a company you do not you want to appeal to as many people as possible this sort of reminded me of a friend of the pod ethan's ethan ethan strauss like ethan strauss often points out that like the nba for example will go way overboard in like a woke direction that its audience isn't really into and for lack of a better word woke we don't like that word but whatever everyone knows what we mean um Elon's sort of doing that in the opposite direction where he's just like yeah. he's playing footsie with these like weird right-wing troll accounts saying dumb political shit uh, this the Twitter user base is it's not overwhelmingly liberal but it is disproportionately liberal you're just you're pissing off your core audience what's the point of that right he's trying it's like he's trying to drive people away advertisers and users and he he's doing that he keeps saying that traffic is higher than it's ever been i think that's probably true although i don't trust him when he says basically anything because he also at one point tweeted that twitter is the social media platform that drives the most traffic that is not true twitter drives hardly any traffic to other sites it, like anybody who's worked in social media can tell you this like facebook does search does twitter just does not well yeah it's much less effective in terms of like efficiency than facebook or at least it was when i was at uh um, New York Magazine, but but so many journalists are on there and have such big platforms that the, in this like I think we're in like late stage Twitter that it it can it can it can help somewhat just way less than people. Think. Well, it drives the conversation for sure. I just don't think it drives a huge amount of traffic to you know to publishers. M much less than someone would think who who hasn't had access to those numbers as I think we have. Much less than yeah. Elon thinks. Yeah, and to me the most baffling part of this is that people treat this guy like he is a like their hero. It's this weird demigod thing. And I think what's going on is that people think that Elon is the enemy of their enemy and therefore he's their friend. And so it doesn't matter to, to his fans 
that a bunch of people just lost their jobs because those people were woke assholes. And so fuck them. Learn to code, bitches. Except they already knew how to code. <laughs> they didn't know how to code. And, Learn to do journalism. <laughs> and a whole – like this idea that, that Twitter was full of, of wokies for lack of a better term. I'm sure there was a lot of that. Like Twitter self-selects for progressives I think in some ways. But Twitter, like almost every giant Silicon Valley tech company, a huge percentage of their employees are Asian. They are immigrants. Do you really think that Indian immigrants who are engineers at Twitter's are the people who give a shit about pronouns? Like those are people who lost their jobs as well. And if you just take like step back for a moment and look at what happened, here's what happened. A billionaire bought a publicly traded company, took it private, and then laid off half the staff. And under what other circumstances would we be cheering for that? I cannot think of any. Well, it depends who we is. A lot of the people cheering for it have politics very different from ours. Even if even if we share the belief that some there's like liberal excess, these are these are folks who who worship tech bros and you hate so called SJW. So it's just I don't find it surprising that they're they, they don't care if people get fired. They're they're a little bit cruel about it. No, it's not surprising. It's it, but it's cruel. I find it really great. Like he's basically he's doing what a predatory capitalist like Carl Icahn would do. But in, but instead of criticizing him for that. A billionaire buys a company and lays off half the staff. People are cheering because they think that their employees are too woke. And I just find this attitude absolutely repulsive. Losing a job is one of the more stressful life events that people go through. That includes people in tech, especially because right now, layoff, there are layoffs all across the industry. Amazon just laid off 10,000 people. Facebook just laid off 10,000 people. These are people. You might disagree with their politics, but I don't see why you should cheer when they're losing their jobs, I just no. I find it so gross. It's it's the same thing whenever there's like journalism layoffs. I always try to yeah. explain to people like we hear disproportionately on Twitter from the ten percent of journalists who are annoying assholes. But most most journalists really are just trying to like do their job. And I, I think that's true of Twitter engineers too. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. I don't even want the assholes to lose their jobs. I just want them to hashtag do better. So uh, cheering for people getting fired sucks. Also. If you're like a big capitalist, smart money guy, you should know that a CEO steamrolling in and immediately firing half of people without any sign he knows what he's doing, this is just ego. It's just like him yeah. trying to throw his dick around. It's not yeah. – there's no there's no intelligence at work here. No, I don't think he went through and was like, we need to make budget cuts here and here and here because we're overloaded in these areas. No, he didn't do that. He wouldn't have had time to do that. I will say that I can almost understand where some of the cruel people are coming from just because the hysteria – reach such a fever pitch and there's this weird wish casting going on where commentators mix reporting with what they want to happen so um yeah alejandra carabayo is a um just a pretty noxious presence on social media she's like a some sort of instructor in cyber law at, at harvard so on the 17th I don't think Twitter will last through the weekend. Twitter is restricting employees' access to all its buildings through the weekend with no reason given. The entire Android team resigned. The World Cup, the largest sporting event in the world, starts this weekend. Uh, she continues, you know, payroll, tax, SRE, Twitter, blue team's all gone. The end is nigh. You know, that was now, that was more than a week ago. Twitter's still around. There haven't even been performance issues. Then, in a Washington Post article um, by Taylor Lorenz, uh, Taylor quotes Caraballo saying that by letting all these people back on uh, Twitter, what Musk, quote, what Musk is doing is existentially dangerous for various marginalized communities. Mm -hmm. Existentially dangerous, Katie. Yes, people die every time someone tweets the T word. So I think part, it, it's, it's, it's deranged to, there are, <laughs> there are in the world communities that face existential threat. No one faces existential threats because of Twitter. You have to be so 
far up your own ass to think that's the case. So I think the people cheering about Twitter engineers getting fired see discourse like this. They're like, this is crazy. This is so over the top. And they uh, maybe adopt a little bit of a nihilistic attitude. Yeah, I think you're right about that. And I think there's also this sense that Twitter is now that that leftists on Twitter are now experiencing what conservatives have always experienced. Like, for instance, there's this this list going around, basically a spreadsheet of thousands, I think thousands of leftist accounts. And the idea is that right wingers will take this list, mass report the accounts, and then they'll get banned from Twitter. And people like Ben Collins are tweeting about this. Lots of people are Ben Collins of NBC News, the misinformation reporter. Lots of disinformation. I'm sorry, disinformation reporter. Lots of people very upset to find themselves on this list. These lists have existed. Oh, wow. Yeah, that, mu- right. that must suck to have fucking people, deranged morons, put your name on a list. God, that would. Right. And it's not like, A, it's probably not going to have any impact at all. But B, these lists have existed forever. And, Dude, it's so bad. Right. They're they're you're right. They're just mad that a in some cases they're just mad that um the medicine they readily dish out to others they might have to deal with the taste of yeah. this fantasy world in which until Elon Musk took over this was like an at all functional or non sociopathic place. I don't that doesn't resonate with me at all. Yeah, they're basically losing what they thought of as their site and. Twitter wasn't their site. Twitter was never their site. Although then again, the people who built it are probably more in line with their values than people like Elon Musk. And so the other thing about Elon, like he pretends to be a champion of free speech. If he actually were, I would support him more through all of these mistakes that he's making. But he's not proven himself to actually be a champion of free speech. Like he tweeted when he got there, he tweeted, comedy is now legal on Twitter. And then the next day, he permanently banned accounts that impersonated him personally. Making fun of people is free speech, but he is incredibly thin-skinned and he can't take it. He fired employees who criticize him on Slack, and I realize this is his company and he can do what he wants, blah, 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 but you can't claim to be a champion of free speech and then fire people for criticizing you personally. And I think there is a difference between tweeting Elon sucks balls on Twitter. I don't think you can tweet that the, the boss sucks balls on Twitter and then expect to have your job. But if people were criticizing his decisions in good faith on Slack and he fired him for that, that is not being a champion of free speech. Yeah, I think that I'm less moved by the whole um, – I think you shouldn't criticize your boss publicly. I, I think in any – But but Slack isn't public. Sure, sure. Uh, yeah. I, 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 I don't know. I always find myself a little bit of a conservative on that because I just think like it's a pretty basic thing that – you need to be, you know, you need to, if, if if they're not allowed to internally criticize him or if they get in trouble for like quietly reporting a qualm they have or a problem they have, that'd be one thing. But like, I don't know. I bet some of the people were sloppy about it. Well, okay. So on the media, of course, covered this last weekend and they had somebody who'd been reporting on Twitter. And apparently before Elon took over, Twitter had a very sort of open door policy about criticism. And that was part of the culture was that they wanted to improve the site. And so employees were encouraged to criticize the leadership decisions. And then Elon comes in and the next day you're firing people who who, who criticize the boss. Okay. I, again, I would want to know more details, especially because on the media is sort of a... Um... Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, anyway. Okay. Well, okay. So then he he also tweets this. New Twitter policy is freedom of speech, not freedom of reach. 
Where have we heard that before, Jesse? Yeah, that's like a common line from like progressives who who don't. Yeah. 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 Exactly. This is just like a fucking stupid woke platitude. He in that same tweet he said, "Negative slash hate tweets will be max deboosted and demonetized, so no ads or other revenue to Twitter. You won't find the tweet unless you specifically seek it out, which is no different from the rest of the internet." He is correct. That is no different from most of the internet. I don't know who's going to decide what's a hate tweet or a negative. Like neg- you can't have negativity on Twitter. Since when? Twitter would not exist without Twitter would not exist. But he's just repeating the same platitudes that the very people who were crowing about him buying the company claim to hate. Freedom of speech, not freedom of reach. And frankly, none of this should be surprising. He has a documented history of targeting people who criticize him with legal action. He once tried to get an anonymous blogger fired from his job for criticizing Tesla. Yeah, that's not really very free speechy. <laughs> Come on. I commend him on bringing back some people who have been banned, including Megan Murphy. He did this last week after Joe Rogan asked him to. I am less enthralled about the fact that he brought back James Lindsay just because James Lindsay is so fucking aggravating. Yeah. Uh, still, I, I do I do think that he, he brought back some people who deserve to be on the platform. But when he was asked if he would bring back Alex Jones, he said no. Here's why. He tweeted, my firstborn child died in my arms. I felt his last heartbeat. I have no mercy for anyone who would use the deaths of children for gain, politics, or fame. So I didn't realize this before then, but his son died of SIDS at 10 weeks old. And of course, it's impossible not to feel sympathy for Elon Musk in this case and for the parents of Sandy Hook victims when you're talking about Alex Jones. But again, this reveals what Elon Musk actually thinks about free speech, which is free speech is good unless it personally offends Elon Musk. That really stuck with me because obviously I cannot imagine losing a kid, but that's not the issue here. The issue is he's clearly saying that whatever like most – yeah, but whatever most offends him or hurts him can't be allowed on Twitter, which is like the exact opposite of a principled stance on this stuff. Exactly. And there's been this spate of anarchist accounts being banned or suspended. Honestly, it's a lot of people I can't stand, so it's hard to really mourn them. But I think there is this this element from Elon fans that's like leftists are now experiencing what conservative have conservatives have always experienced on Twitter. I understand that, but I don't think that he has shown himself to have really any principles beyond Elon Musk first. Yeah. I mean, that seems, I don't know. It's weird that anyone would think otherwise. A lot of these, a lot of like really loud free speechy types don't actually care about free speech at the end of the day. They just care about like sticking it to their enemies. Yeah, totally. All right, Katie, should we do housekeeping before we finish up this tale? Let's do it. Okay. So, uh, oh, I guess the announcement is merch is back. Oh yeah. Merch is back. Is our website live? It's live. Ooh, what's what's the URL? Barpodmerch.com. I said that without checking. Why don't you check? Bar. Bar, how do you spell that? B A R. How do you spell barpod? Barpodmerch.com. It's barpodmerch.com. Did you say dot com? Yeah. Okay. Yes, it is back. We have our Pervert for Nuance shirts and our Park Slope Panther shirt. I'm going to get one of those. <laughs> I'm really happy with this. So, yeah, we're gonna, we're doing things a little bit differently. We have a lot of the same, um, you know, base items before if you want to show your support for the podcast. But we're going to introduce new Basically, inside jokes we think are funny. I think Pervert for Nuance will have some legs because there's a lot of you perverts out there. And then the um, Park Slope Panthers, if you want to help defend Park Slope against uh, or Prospect Park against crime. You know, I think our Park Slope Panthers episode was a primo episode, so a significant of our portion of our listeners aren't going to get that one. <laughs> well, <Join us> blocking <laughs> All right. <laughs> Whoops. Yes, join us blotterreporter.org so you will know the inside jokes on the shirts we're asking you to buy. 
uh, for just $5 a month or more, you can become a premium subscriber. That's three extra episodes a month. Plus, uh, you can be part of a growing community, almost 10,000 people. Someday we will fill one of those creepy Cotter stadiums um, built by slaves. Yeah, we have a weekly open comment thread. Every Wednesday, people can just talk about whatever they want. And the last time I looked at either this Wednesday's or last one, there were like a th- Literally a thousand comments on the thread. A thousand comments. Yeah, there's a lot of really good discussion. Yeah, it's a good community. You can also check out our subreddit, blockedandreported.reddit.com. But mostly check out the merch. Uh, all right, Katie, where are we in our in our story? Okay, so as people get more inflamed over Elon Musk, some of them, a certain number of them, are fleeing to new sites. I should say, I don't think Twitter is going to die overnight. I think eventually it will die because that's just the nature of platforms. I think they all die in the end. Uh, like us humans. Wait, what? There's a new one called Post. I'm gonna yeah, die. I know. Okay. It's weird. Yeah. Uh, so there's a new one called Post. It's currently in beta, post.news. I like the interface. It's really... Have you looked at this one? No. Why Why would you look at... Is that... <laughs> you think you need more social media in your life? Is that what it is? Here's why. I'm joining all these new platforms under a different name so I can see the content of people who have blocked me on Twitter. It's Haiti, Haiti Curzon. <laughs> Jesse Single. Uh, I like the interface on post.news. It's nice and clean. And they're don't very, nobody go to post. Come on. They're guys. very explicit about who they do and don't want on their platform. And it's the standard like we want diversity, but no Nazis, etc. They are, however, already getting shit because they say that protected categories include gender, religion, ethnicity, race, sexual orientation, net worth, and beliefs, but they failed to mention gender identity in there. Uh, I suspect that's just an oversight or they were lumping that under gender. Wait, what if my belief is that uh, Nazis are right? No. That's so that's protected? That's not protected. No Nazis. My beliefs are protected. No, nope, not okay. that one. Uh, All beliefs okay. but that one. Well, uh, I'll, I'll mess around on there later and figure it out. But the one that is getting more attention is Mastodon. Unfortunately, Mastodon is a deeply confusing website. I found it very hard to navigate, but it does have a pretty interesting history. Why don't you tell me about that history, Katie? Okay. So Mastodon launched in 2016, and it's basically open source software that anyone can use and adapt for their own purposes. It can be somewhat divided into three massive non-interacting parts. First, there's a thriving right-wing corner. Gab and Truth Social are the headliners of that. Then there's the Japanese pedophile corner. And then there's the sort of broadly leftist, we're looking for a kinder, gentler Twitter corner. That's what people are leaving Twitter for now. You're going to get to that in a little while. But first, I'm going to talk about the first two, which is the right-wing corner and the Japanese pedophile corner. You ready for this? Okay, and, and you're saying these don't overlap. Because I would imagine, I would imagine <laughs> in some cases they, they I'm do. sure in some cases they do, yes. Okay, so this is key to understanding Mastodon. There's no global search, and none of these three ecosystems can see each other unless they go out of their way to look for it. Can I just say we're off to a very good start uh, about this being a useful service, that there's no global search. So that, that sounds good. Yeah. Right. So people in each of these separate corners generally remain pr- pretty blissfully unaware of the others. Okay. So first, we're going to talk about how Mas- Mastodon works. So basically, when you sign up, you choose a server, also called an instance. This can be based on location or interest. So there are servers for different countries and regions and servers for things like... What, what I love about this is they could have just called it a server because that's right. what it is. But everything on Mastodon needs to be fucking confusing right. and dumb. So it's an instance, which is just why. Like they call their post, or they did until recently, they call their post 
Toots, which is literally the name that I call Moose's farts. Like this, I tooted yeah. everybody. Everybody, check out my toot. I tooted. <laughs> yeah. So as a user, it's pretty confusing because, like, how do you know what server to sign up for? But ultimately, the server. Obviously, the pedophile. Obviously, <laughs> oh, it's easy call. But it also doesn't really matter which server you sign up for because you can still follow people on other servers. So I don't know why the server thing exists. It's it's just it's like one more barrier to get people to sign up. Maybe that's what they're trying to do. Um, I'm also going to immediately contradict myself because I just said that it doesn't matter what server you choose, but because there are mass blockings of entire servers, it kind of does matter what server you choose. Okay, so once you sign up and start following people, you have a local timeline, which features only posts from your server, and a public timeline, which could feature posts from anyone your server follows. Are you following me, Jesse? It's very hard to, but I just imagine me nodding and drooling yeah. a little bit. There's no way to view everything on Mastodon all at once, and so it, it looks a lot like Twitter, but there are other certain limitations. For instance, there's no quote toot, toot, quote, quote toot, there's no quote toot feature. Oh, Jesus, yeah. And this inherently limits the virality of posts, and this is intentional, because the vibe on Mastodon is supposed to be more about actual conversation than dunking on your enemies. And when it was started, it was thought of as this haven for marginalized identities like queer and trans people, who, of course, are always the victims of bullying and never the perpetrators of it. Uh, the writer Sarah Jiang, do you want to remind people who Sarah Jiang is? Yeah, Sarah Jiang was... Um... Jiang? It's Jiang? I don't know. Okay. She she was a so she was a New York Times uh, at one point editorial writer on like tech and the law and, and related subjects and people were mad at her because she'd said like a lot of nasty things about white people so conservatives tried to get her you know basically fired for that but it didn't work but then she left anyway um, and yeah she was like a really well maybe she's still a big name I just feel like she doesn't come up as much anymore. Yeah, she doesn't. Um, okay, so she wrote about Mastodon for Vice in 2017. Her post was called, Mastodon is like Twitter without Nazis, so why are we not using it? Subhead, I quit Twitter to join a kinder, nicer, de decentralized open source version of Twitter. She is, by the way, still on Twitter, so I guess it didn't take. Uh, but in her piece, she hilariously mentions Graham Linehan as, as one of the people who recently joined Mastodon as though it's a selling point. <laughs> Um, although she says, this is a quote, Linehan apparently loses interest after finding that the existing community discourages posting publicly about Trump. She also noted that, quote, a user gently suggests that if I post political content, I should put it behind a content warning. There's a lot of content warnings on Mastodon. Hopefully we'll get to that later. OK, so I mentioned True Social and Gab a moment ago. Both of these are right-wing social networks. Truth Social is actually owned in part by Donald Trump, and that might be one of the reasons he has not actually gotten back on Twitter because he either has it in his contract that he needs to only be on Truth Social or because he just wants to pull people to Truth Social. In 2021, Wired reported that the guy who created Mastodon, his name's Eugene Rochko, was unhappy that True Social was running on Mastodon software, but he couldn't really do anything about it because no one, including him, owns Mastodon. It's decentralized, and that's a big part of the appeal. But this also means that there's no one person or entity who can say, no, True Social, you can't play with us. And I suspect that most people who have fled to Mastodon over the must buyout, frankly, don't realize they're sharing an ecosystem with Donald Trump and literal Nazis, but they are. Okay. So that's the first corner. That's the red corner. Now we're going to talk about the Japanese kitty porn corner. Jesse? My corner. Yeah, your corner. I like what I'm hearing so far. So our background from this comes from a very interesting 2017 article called Mastodon WTF Timeline by a guy named Matt Scala. We'll link to this in the show notes. But Matt was on Mastodon early. He also has an interest in Japanese culture. 
And according to him, in Japan, there are two different terms for what we in English would call child pornography. One of them is absolutely taboo, and one of those is just not. So the first type is what we would think of as kiddie porn. Picture it, Jesse. Picture some kiddie porn. Hold on. Hold on. Wait. I'm picturing it. Got okay, it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The second type is called lolicon. That's short for Lolita Complex. And it's basically drawings and cartoons of young people, including kids, in sexualized situations. And this is socially acceptable in Japan. So I'm going to read a bit from Matt's post here. He writes, If you like Lolicon, you're a nerd, and that's not a big deal. It's legal and popular and sold in bookstores everywhere. I cannot emphasize enough that Lolicon is not only legal, but really acceptable in Japan. It's merely nerdy. On the other hand, if you like kiddie porn, then you're an evil sicko monster and kiddie porn is highly illegal. It's also unpopular. As a matter of statistics, the number of people who are actually interested in kiddie porn is vanishingly small as a fraction of, Jap- of the Japanese population. Japanese see these as two completely and obviously distinct things. This doesn't totally surprise me. I've never been to Japan, but I have seen anime and uh, it does have this sort of Lolita vibe. That's what Lolicon is short for, Lolita Complex. And we're talking about a country where you can buy used underpants and vending machines. They have very different cultural norms than we do. And whereas drawings of child sex or written erotica has gotten people jailed in some places, it's just totally normal if nerdy in Japan. And Matt says that Japanese people think that the American inability to distinguish between these two is further proof that Americans are dumb as fuck. I am definitely having trouble distinguishing them, but I think we should move on. Well, I mean, I don't think it's that. Like, it, like think of one as like anime and the other as like photographs of kids getting abused. So it's just it's just less explicit. Well, it's like one of them is like the stuff that happens before their clothes come off, but it's just as creepy and sexualizing. It is, but in one, there's like real children being harmed. In the other, there's no children. You mean because it's, cartoo- it's cartoon That's, images of children? Because okay. it's cartoons, yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah, that to me seems like cool. a pretty, hey, Katie, <laughs> pretty big difference. Cool. Look, Jesse, if you want to become a protector of cartoon drawings, that's that's your hobby. Okay. I'm going to go to Japan and become a vigilante. <laughs> okay, so Twitter is obviously an American company, and posting Lolicon is banned, and users who post it can be banned as well. So Lolicon aficionados and artists were looking for a platform where they could post their weird drawings, and they found it, surprise, surprise, at Mastodon. So in April 2017, a Japanese site called Pixiv, it's basically like a deviant art for Lolicon, they started a Mastodon server, and there was this massive influx of Japanese users to Mastodon. And in fact, so many Japanese users joined the platform that it doubled in size in about a day. And Lolicon servers quickly became among the most popular on Mastodon. So this thing that was supposed to be the nicer, kinder Twitter for marginalized identities was also a massive hub to what Western eyes look like kitty porn. So this is the the great pervert influx. Yeah, yes. The Japanese pervert influx. I wonder what percentage of them were female. JPI? Yeah. Yeah. And then so there's this rash of think pieces and blog posts in 2017 about how Mastodon had a child pornography problem. Of course, the very nature of Mastodon makes it impossible to police. And so the thing that makes it appealing, it's decentralized, means that there's no one who can ban the Lolicon servers. They can't be kicked off. So it's basically the antithesis of the whole safe space vibe that liberal Mastodon who've left Twitter over Elon are trying to create. So that said, each server or instance can enforce its own rules and norms. And as you can imagine, this can be very fraught. And nowhere is that more apparent, of course, than the new server for journalism, Journahost. Jesse, you want to take it from here? Yeah, this is journa.host. And basically, uh, this centers on Adam Davidson. Um, 
Davidson is a guy who I've read and listened to for a long time, and I always found him to be a smart commentator on money stuff. I know nothing about money stuff. Yeah, he was a he created Planet Money. Yeah, and and he was on This American Life for a long time. New Yorker, New York Times. um, Yeah, very very storied journalistic career. If you only knew him from his actual work and not from Twitter, I can see how you would think that this was a very smart and decent guy. <laughs> yeah. And then you look at his Twitter. Right. So my sense <laughs> is that like like a lot of other people, Trump and the protests and the pandemic have all melted his brain a little or, or at least a part of his brain dedicated to talking about like internecine conflict on the left. Um, he's basically become the purest of like the good white men. He'll talk a lot about his privilege, how there's no such thing as cancel culture. Um, this is one of the most annoying subset of people on social media. It's like the white person who will tell you all about how white they are, how many advantages they have, how sorry they are about it, how bad they feel. But at the end of the day, it's often unclear what all this performative flagellation does other than like cause him to talk and think about race far more than any healthy person should. Oh, it's good for engagement, um, Jesse. Come on. It's good for engagement. Um, and it also seems to cause him to amplify people of color, but they tend to be the tiny subset of people of color who have the same politics as highly educated white people. Yeah. So I would find the act a lot more believable uh, if if all the flag- self-flagellation was followed up by like a, a genuine interest in poor and working class black people. But I, I feel like that doesn't tend to be the case. Uh, you don't think the guy who started Planet Money and has worked for This American Life and the, and the <laughs> New Yorker is really in touch with the working class? Uh, anyway, Adam Davidson uh, ends up launching Journa.host, a Mastodon. So this is an instance, right? Yeah, it's a server. I find, I just find the terminology so fucking stupid. It's yeah. a server. He launches it, and there's this sort of committee of moderators. And if you go over there, you'll find a mix of like random stuff, but also the most boring, pointless, predictable political opining imaginable. You can go there. Just go to journa.host. Um, you don't you don't need to sign up for Mastodon. So just like imagine Twitter, but only the most narrow, already overrepresented progressive side of everything. Um, there appears to be no appetite whatsoever there for genuine disagreement, or if there is, I couldn't find any evidence of it. Like the things they do agree on include Trump bad, Musk bad, Twitter bad, fascist bad. Bold. Uh, so you can imagine, yeah, the discourse is is totally scintillating. And and Katie, you attempted to join this walled garden. No, well, how did that go? I did attempt to join. I attempted to join twice. First, under a pseudonym, I thought maybe that would get me through the wall. It did not. And then under my actual name, and uh, my application is, I think it got lost in pending? the mail. Pending. Yeah, it's pending. Forever pending. How long has it been? Uh, probably two weeks, three weeks. They don't they don't in like the stuff I've read about this, they don't say explicitly that there's any like ideological component. You should be able to join if you're a journalist with an established track record writing or, or, or podcasting, right? Yeah. It, they basically say you need to be a legitimate journalist. And Adam Davidson did this I this interview that I think really tells you everything you need to know about Adam Davidson. Let me find a quote. We had a conversation this morning about somebody who has a blog about beer. We said, well, this person does reporting. They actually interview people. They look at statistics. They're not just going to be sharing their opinion on beer. And it felt like, yeah, that's journalism. So he's a gatekeeper and he's the one who's going to decide if your particular beat is is counts as journalism. However, apparently I don't count as a journalist. George Takai is on journal host, so he counts as a journalist. <laughs> the Star Trek guy? Yeah, the Star Trek guy. 
So he's obviously not enforcing these with any sort of consistency. Did you DM him to ask him about your application? Funny you should say that, Jesse. I can't DM him because I am blocked. Okay. I mean, that seems pretty gatekeepy to me. Um, Maybe that's the point. Yeah. And this is sort of my annoyance with the whole project is that like one of the good things about Twitter is that it's public. It's all public. Mastodon is not. You can sort of see what's going on, but it's just it's like the platform is so confusing. And I want journalists to be having these idiotic conversations in public where everyone can see them. The people are being denied access to our dumbness, which is not right. Right. So, yes, this is a pretty ideologically narrow minded community. And one way that manifested was that there was immediately a heated controversy uh, almost as soon as this thing launched. This controversy involved two very close friends of the podcast, Mike Pesca and Parker Molloy, probably Mm -hmm. our two best friends in real life, too, right? Yeah, I like their uh, their initials are palindromes. MPPM. So the controversy centers on a big, important front page New York Times article about puberty blockers. Two of the top investigative journalists there, Megan Toohey and Christina Jewett. They basically just laid out the many unknowns about puberty blockers, a lack of evidence, the physical side effects some kids have experienced, and so on. Uh, It was an important article on a hot-button subject on the front page of arguably the world's most important newspaper, so you couldn't come up with a better example of the sort of article journalists like to discuss on social media. So, Mike Pesca posts a link to it uh, on journa.host on November 18th. This seemed like careful, thorough reporting, he wrote. Mike, 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 Mike. <laughs> Dude, dude, whoa, dude. Bad idea, bro. Let's just pick up Joe Bernstein's reporting in The Times. In response, Parker Malloy, a journalist who writes the Substack newsletter The Present Age, accused Mr. Pesca of anti-trans bigotry and then posted angrily at Mr. Davidson for not removing the post. At Adam Davidson's decision not to take action on anti-trans content isn't inspiring confidence, and I totally understand why other places are doing instance-level blocking, meaning other servers are blocking the servers. Uh, She wrote on JournaHost. Zach Everson, one of the JournaHost administrators, responded that he agreed with Ms. Beloy, then added, Banning someone for posting a link to an NYT article sets a precedent that we really need to work through. On Saturday, JournaHost suspended Mr. Pesca, who was informed via text message from Mr. Davidson, a longtime friend. Parentheses. The two are currently writing an exchange of letters hosted on Substack about the nature of cancel culture. I will not be reading that, by the way, and that's not because I don't like <laughs> Pesca's work. It's because I, I, I could not stand Davidson's... If Adam Davidson ever wanted to come on, we would have him on. But it's very his his views on this I find to be very bad faith. Um, a- according to Mr. Pascal, this is back to the article. Mr. Davidson told him he had been suspended for referring to Ms. Malloy as an activist, <laughs> which was dismissive. The suspension seemed arbitrary and ad hoc. Mr. Pasca said in an interview, Ms. Malloy didn't respond to a message seeking comment. Uh, what'd you make of this, Katie? And this whole thing is so inevitable. I tweeted something like this: "This is going to end." with Adam Davidson getting kicked off of his own server for transphobia, at which point he comes out as non-binary. Like, <laughs> this is always how this was going to end. It seems like exactly what you would expect to happen when you give a certain like censorious type of person too much power. Um, the idea of banning Mike Pesca for calling Malloy an activist is ridiculous. I understand Malloy it's the A word, wants Jesse. to be seen as a. I understand she wants to be seen as a journalist. She does exactly what the worst activists do, which is scurry around in back channels trying to get people fired. She's an activist. Yeah, I googled Parker Malloy activist because I wanted to see if she is commonly referred to as an activist, and I found this blog post from Queerty uh, from 2014. Let me just read you a second of this. 
Parker Malloy, someone I looked to for advice on occasion and supported through her fundraising for surgery, was telling me to kill myself. Not only was she telling another trans woman to die, she was giving her instructions ranging from cutting herself to drinking bleach and what's more, demanding that she do it. She is quite the activist. What's, um, what year was that? She's a pro-suicide activist, 2014. I think, right. And so I think she, we should say, I think she apologized for that. I mean, she did. She Did she ever apologize for trying to get both of us fired? No. I think not. She apologized for that. She apologized subsequently for this uh, Mike Pesca thing. She said that her mental health has like interacts poorly with online stuff. I think maybe no shit. Um, this is, this is a fucking pattern like eight years now. Like just, I, she, um, it's really gross, obviously, to tell people to kill themselves. It's very gross to constantly try to get people fired and banned from stuff. And I don't know. I find it, I just <laughs> get really fucking pissed about this. It's a whole other level. It's something that marks you as, I don't know if she's a bad person. Maybe she like, I think she has a dog. Maybe she's like good to her dog and her partner. Hitler was good to his dog too. Hitler was also good to his dog. So we're comparing her directly to Hitler is what we're saying. Mm-hmm. No, it's just, it's really shitty behavior. And to suspend Mike Pesca for calling her an activist suggests this is already a very broken community. Anyway, um, moving on from that, um, th- this, this I think had the desired effect, which is if you check out journal host, you'll see no sign of dissent on controversial issues like puberty blockers. Like it's clear this is not a community. You should go anywhere near if you want to engage in debate or discussion, which used to be things journalists did regularly. They would disagree about stuff and say so. Uh, So you will clearly get dogpiled or even suspended if you, for example, post a link to a New York Times article by two celebrated investigative reporters. So that's going to be a very healthy community that's going to do good stuff, I think. Did you try to get in? I, I didn't have it. Like, my ego, I wanted to, too, as an experiment. Oh, you've got to. Um, but my ego my ego wouldn't let me. I'm not going to get rejected <laughs> by Adam Davidson from this <laughs> shitty Come fucking on. community that kicked out Come Mike Pesca. So unlike a lot of people, I'm not going to make confident predictions about, like, the future of Twitter, the future of Mastodon, because who knows what will happen. Maybe Twitter will collapse, although I think people are vastly overstating that likelihood. If I had to guess... Journal host won't matter six months from now. Um, few reasons for that. One is that, as you mentioned, Mastodon's interface and structure just both fucking suck. It's extremely confusing compared to Twitter. The whole like federated servers instance, blah, 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 is not intuitive. And you can accuse me of not putting much effort into trying to learn how it works because I haven't. But you know what else I've never put any effort in understanding? Twitter. Because you don't have to. Because it just basically right. works, even though it sucks and is horrible in its own right. Um so I think the fact that like it's hard to even figure out how to do Mastodon is one obstacle. But I think the biggest reason uh, journal hosts probably won't matter in six months is that journalists are incredibly narcissistic. And yep. it, validation from the masses is incredibly important to them. And uh, so on Twitter, you get that constantly. I can make a dick joke and get 50 likes. On a gate-kept Mastodon server, you won't get that validation except from the same circle of fellow journalists, which will get old after a while. Plus... Uh, journal host has already been banned by a bunch of other instances or servers, apparently, for various reasons. Like transphobia. So sort of, <laughs> right. It's been, it's been accused of transphobia for not blocking access to a front page. New- These The folks who want to ban everything and get everyone fired... They're not shy about showing who they are, are they? Like it's very no. clear what they want. They don't. They don't think you should be able, allowed to disagree with them on their pet subjects without getting in trouble. And they, they're not shy about it. It's a. It's like crazy that we're still debating whether this is okay when it's obviously poison to journalism. But end of the day, journalists are not going to hang out in a place where they can't have their ego stroked. And you can't have your ego stroked on Mastodon when you're just instantly blocked. 
So then some of them will surely break off and form another instance, but that'll dilute everything. That one will get blocked by other psychos. The project just seems doomed to fail, I think. I think you're probably right about that. I mean, some people have been on Mastodon for six years now and they love it and it's a totally different community and they find what they what they are looking for there. I don't think journalists are those people. And I think this, the same things that make journalists that make Twitter toxic, the quote tweet button, the dog piles, all of that shit going viral. That's exactly why people are on the platform. And yeah. Twitter itself could do away with that. Like if you wanted to make to- Twitter less toxic, get rid of the quote tweet button. Of course, people will just take screenshots and find ways to mimic it. They could just ban you and hate speech would go down 30%. Yeah. And they might because I've been shit talking Elon Musk. But those are the things that drive traffic and interest and drama. What people want is drama. And the only time that Mastodon was interesting to me was when this drama was going on with Pesca and, and Parker Malone. Oh and God, there's this yeah. other like weird usability thing where content warnings are huge on Mastodon. It's like part of the ethos is to content warn everything. And what this means is that a lot of the posts have a little tag and it'll be like politics or something like that. But so you have to click that to see the actual text of the post. And I just think in terms of usability, like making me click one more thing, like an expand button for articles or whatever, if you make me click one more thing, I'm just going to lose interest pretty quickly. My fingers are only so strong. Yeah, I, I, if you just go to Journal Host, you will lose interest because it's like they badly want this to be the new Twitter, the new thing. It's it's not going to be. So I think we're probably stuck with Twitter for now if it doesn't collapse, which I don't think it will. But um, let me let me tell you what's at the top of Journal Host right now. George Takai, it's Follow Friday, so I hope folks utilize the hashtag to find my account here. This is the code of scintillating content you will get from the servers for journalism, the Star Trek dude, asking for people to follow him. What if we just take the most boring people on Twitter, folks where you already know their view on everything, and have them make another account that will force you to make another account just to follow them, except you can't get into journal host unless you're a journalist, except some journalists can't get in. Also, it's mass blocked by it. Like, it, it's... Yeah. Good luck, Adam Davidson, but we would like you to come on the podcast. I'll be on post.news. Well, I'm not, Kitty. Don't even. <laughs> just, what the hey, look, fuck just, is... because, just because you can't get into post.news. I'll be on suckandfuck.org. <laughs> Anything else, Katie? I think that's it. As always, thank you to Tracing Woodgrains for production help. This has been Blocked and Reported. I'm Jesse Single, and remember, I completely support Israelis and Palestinians equally, unless that's offensive, in which case my apportionment is different. And I'm Katie Herzog, and also remember... I want a girlfriend, 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 I want a girlfriend. Yeah, they played that at your bar mitzvah.